Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. While it was breaking news yesterday, but like all things government, it took until today to pass. What was it? Well, Bill H.R. 2339, the Reversing the Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act. Sponsored by Democratic Representatives Frank Pallone of New Jersey and Donna Shalala of Florida, the bill was introduced a year ago, and now the House of Representatives has passed the bill, which is a ban on flavored vaping products in all 50 states. Joining us today to talk about the ban and the potential impact on the industry and whether or not President Trump would veto the bill is John Glauser, CEO of Demand Vape, executive board member of the Vapor Technology Association and anchor supporter of our U.S. coverage on RegWatch. John, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Brent. I'm going to uh, get you to play both reporter and analyst for us today. Mm -hmm. So first off, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what's in this bill and why do you think it passed? Um, yeah, I could absolutely tell you what's in the bill. So just a quick overview. This would actually amend, it's actually amends the FD and C, which uh, the Tobacco Control um, Act is a part of, to basically ban all characterizing flavors in tobacco products, including menthol. Um, it would prohibit online sales completely in all ENDS products. Um, it would increase uh, the user fees that the FDA collects from manufacturers when they sell the products. Uh, it would direct FDA to regulate uh, products containing synthetic nicotine, which I think got passed over quite a bit. Uh, it would establish a grant program to develop strategies for smoking cessation in medically under, underserved communities. Um, it increased civil penalties for violations for the you know, restricted sales of tobacco products. And it would also require government accountability office to study e-cigarettes in a lot of different ways. Um, and what was the second part of the question? I'm sorry, Brian. Why, why did it pass? Uh, I think this is the uh, congressional Democrats kind of playing politics with the administration. You know, obviously a lot of things have happened to bring us to this point, but um, there was quite a push. You know, Nancy Pelosi herself came out to speak on this bill, which, you know, if that's not an indication to how politically politically charged this issue is, I don't know what, what, what else what else is. Yeah, and we're going to talk in a, a bit here uh, with regard to the letter that came out of the White House yesterday and some astonishing positioning uh, from President Trump. But I want to stick here for a while on the Democrats because they've been uh, chasing this ban like a dog with a bone now for some years. Yeah, and uh, to be fair to the Democrats, you know, like there's different levels of Democrats and what their appetite is for uh, this specific type of legislation. Uh, Frank Pallone, there's no doubt, you know, he cheered, he, he's the chair of the Energy and Commerce uh, Committee, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, he's a zealot. He's headed out for our industry for a very, very long time. You know, this has been on his agenda for what feels like years now. And this was kind of his baby, you know, and as time progressed, he's been trying to push this through. But obviously with uh, the Valley scare that happened and, you know, vaping was kind of up front um, in the media for such a long time. This gave uh, gave them the opportunity to, to get this push to a vote. How you doing, John? I'm just uh, rewiring some gear there. Uh, while you're talking, so usual, typical uh, last-minute broadcasting here on RegWatch. So I wanted to make sure that uh, we had our computer going. Um, so let's talk frankly here. If this were to pass the Senate, 
we'll deal with whether or not that's a likelihood or not in a minute. But if it were to pass the Senate, what would be the impact on vaping in the U.S.? Oh my God, it would be devastated. Uh, just to be clear, like what this what this legislation does is it, it it legislatively bans all characterized inflammers in tobacco products, including menthol. So even if you if you were a manufacturer and you filed the PMTA, which we all know is such a high bar, and you you know it was deemed that your your flavored products were appropriate for the protection of the public health, um, you know this this uh, legislation would essentially make it illegal to sell those products it would pinhole FDA into only allowing tobacco products on the market. Yeah, I mean, and is there any real hope? Uh, like, what's the argument that this would actually reverse the epidemic? Like, when I, whenever I hear government say that they can reverse a social phenomenon, I mean, unless they're willing to put bullets in people's heads, it's not likely. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of the people that were opposed to this bill um, kind of you know, outline that issue very well. You know, I think there's an appetite, and I think everyone's on the same page on addressing the youth use in this country. And um, you know, this misses the mark big time. This is definitely agenda-driven. Um, you know, th this is, in my opinion, it, it gives gives the people that push this type of legislation a lot of political clout. Like they're really doing something. They're working very hard. We have this big issue in front of us, and it's whatever sounds best to the public. That's what we're going to put out there. You know, we're going to grandstand and make it seem like we're doing everything we can. And if you oppose this, you're against helping kids. But at the end of the day, you know, they're really the, they're the ones doing the most damage. And that, that's really what the issue is in our political system right now. Yeah, no, I do agree. Um, let's just pop over here for a second to uh, the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. And you were right. He is the chair of that committee. I mean, I guess commerce does make some sense. You know, energy sure, sure doesn't with regard to uh, is this the right home for this bill? But Blown praises House passage of H.R. 2339, the Protecting American Lungs and Reversing the Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act. So a different name here for it. Protecting American Lungs. I mean, that's just to me. I don't know. You know, I'm. I'm We've got all this stuff going on in Canada right now where our country's burning down thanks to militant anarchists and communists, which, by the way, Americans are the ones that have been funding. Thank you very much, you and your foundations. So, you know, when I when I see something like this coming out of your government, the protecting American lungs is just, it just, it's uh, bravado to me that's beyond belief. Um, unfortunately, so this is a quote from uh, Pallone. Unfortunately, these products have proliferated in use in recent years as manufacturers peddle enticing flavors like bubblegum, cotton candy, and mango to our children with glossy advertisements. These campaigns have been so successful that Big Tobacco has rapidly reversed years of progress to bring down teen smoking rates. In just one year alone, between two, 2017 and 2018, e-cigarette use by high school students increased by alarming 78 percent yeah it's uh, that, that kind of language is shocking you know they, they, they use these statistics against us and um you know they obviously have an agenda and they're trying to push it through and you know back to protecting american lungs you know adults do not need the government to protect our lungs for us we we are more than capable of making our own choices and i think i think the reason that wording was put in there was on the uh, menthol side of things especially in the combustible tobacco 
um, there really was quite a divide, even amongst some of the Democrats on the, the menthol, which which really helped our industry out a lot because it, it got us a lot of the needed pushback that we needed on this legislation. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're really trying, they're, they're prohibitionists, you know, they want to control how people make their choices and not even how they make their choices, but they want to take those choices away from the public. And they think it's their responsibility, their duty. And at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, it's almost sick, sickening to think about that, you know, we have a political system where our government wants to be able to dictate what we can and cannot do with legal products. Yeah, and isn't, I mean, that's obviously, I think, the big concern here is that if you're not looking to protect this product, what products are you willing to protect, you know? And, you know, it was it was actually very refreshing to see uh, when they were debating this bill. Um, There's a couple of Republicans that, you know, stood up and said, even on the tax side of it, because this would, this would be a huge tax increase. Uh, we're talking about, you know, taxing this product basically out of existence. And, you know, a couple of them stood and said, I cannot stand here and support this bill because what we're essentially doing is we're we're telling people who want to quit smoking that they have to pay a premium to do that. And it's one of the first times I've heard that type of language uh, on the on the House floor. And it was refreshing to see. And it seems like, um, you know, the narrative that we've been pushing and weaving and, you know, at the end of the day, what really is truth is starting to kind of infiltrate and penetrate a lot of these politicians' um, ears, and um, I was so happy to see that. So I didn't get a chance to see any of the uh, debate on the floor. Who would you say on the Republican side deserves the most kudos from the vaping industry? Well, you know, everyone uh, had kind of their plus and minuses, right? Uh, uh, each one of these um, congressional uh, representatives represent their districts. So you have people that were obviously, you know, a little bit more apt to protect the tobacco side of things. And then you had other people that were very practical about it. Really on the Republican side, I would say across the board. And, you know, I also want to make sure that as an industry, the Democrats that voted against this, we need we need to show them our appreciation. We need to we need to communicate with those people. And even the ones that 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 um, voted for this, we still need to get in there and educate them. There are obviously are going to be some like Frank Pallone that I don't think no matter, you know, how much energy effort we put into it will ever change their mind. But, you know, it's a huge issue we have. I, I do not think this is a partisan issue. I think right now it's a partisan issue. But at the end of the day, um, it's our job not only to convey to the public the potential benefits and uh, harm reduction aspects of our product, but we need to educate every politician, regardless of what I, uh, side of the aisle they're on. And I think that gets lost in translation sometimes. Yes, I do agree uh, with you on that. Let's listen to, you mentioned Plone again. Let's listen to uh, some of his comments after the bill passed. Uh, and uh, I've got this here courtesy of uh, Michelle Mitten's Twitter feed. Yay, Michelle. Go, Michelle. So let's just make sure this plays okay. It's about a minute. Oh, it should be playing. start to well, look let, let me just say this um, I don't want you to get the impression that um, the only thing we're worried about here is youth tobacco I mean adults to get um, you know 
start to believe that these vaping products are cessation devices when I'm telling you they're not. They're just as addictive, if not more. You don't have to be uh, young to be stupid. A lot of people are, are, who are older get hooked and, and hoodwinked into this stuff as well. We're trying to deal with anybody who's young or who thinks that somehow these things are actually not what they are. And that's what the tobacco companies do. Does it, does it uh, only deal with kids? No, it affects adults. I'm not telling you that. But I think it affects adults in a positive way because these flavors are hoodwinked with adults, too, who don't realize what they're getting into. Well, I'm not talking about you. I mean, you know what you got into with the menthol. But a lot of people don't. They think it's not nicotine. So hoodwinked uh, there, Mr. Glauser. Are you hoodwinking adults? Um, I, I sincerely hope not. I mean, if adults are hoodwinked by a, a product that clearly states it contains nicotine on it and nicotine is an addictive chemical, I would honestly say that I would bear no responsibility in that transaction <laughs> because uh, they have their own problems. And, you know, these are the things that, uh, you know, uh, Congressman Pallone uses to try to push his agenda uh, that adults, you know, aren't capable of making their own choices or they're stupid, just like kids. You know, what a crazy statement to make. You know, I mean, it's if I were one of his constituents, I would be calling him right now very upset that he just called me stupid, because at the end of the day, he's saying that there's a lot of people out there that do not have the brain capability or the the thought process to be able to a, make decisions for themselves or understand what they're putting into their body. Yeah, I mean, that's the progressive outlook, though, isn't it? Yeah, I, no argument there. I mean, I've been always very clear on where I stand on this. And, you know, there, there are some true progressives out there that want a better humanity. But on the most part, the way that our, uh, you know, in the, in, in the United States specifically, you know, the whole progressive movement has kind of gone to this, like, you know, we need to tell you what to do. You need to adhere with it or we're just going to get rid of you all together and your voice doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, they practice totalitarian science, then they use that science to then create totalitarian law, and then now they pass totalitarian law. So do you think the Senate is going to pick this up, this ball up, and run it across the 100-yard uh, line? You know, I mean, no, my opinion, I, I think absolutely not. I, I don't think there's, there, there's little to no chance in the Senate that this will ever, ever even see a vote let alone get passed. Um, you know, anything's possible. I don't want to guarantee anything, but, you know, the administration obviously came out with some very strong language opposing this bill. And, um, you know, Mitch McConnell in the Senate is very good at uh, making sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're aligned um, when it comes to uh, these types of, like, political stunts, if you want to put it that way, that the uh, congressional Democrats poll to try to get their uh, agendas pushed through. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick look at that, uh, John. This is uh, the statement, uh, the Executive Office of the President, uh, Office of Manage Management and Budget, which is great when you're getting an OMB letter uh, the day before the vote. So this came out yesterday. So yesterday they voted to vote today. <laughs> so that was fine because at least it gave uh, the President and the OMB a chance to get out first with a pretty decent letter. I mean, I, I there's just so much in here. Let me just... Uh, read some of it here just to make sure that we get it out. The administration opposes H.R. 2339. The administration is encouraged by legislative efforts to protect American youth from the harms of addiction and unsafe tobacco products. And it also acknowledges that H.R. 2339 exempts premium cigars 
which have comparatively lower youth usage rates from certain regulatory burdens. So first, let's just stop there. The cigars, so they felt it very important to call that out right away, that that the cigars were being left alone. Yeah, and you know, to me, that's a good thing. I mean, they should leave all of the stuff alone. Um, you know, but when you're picking and choosing based on, you know, what demographic or what race uses these types of products or how likely kids are to use them, uh, that's just not an equitable situation for anyone, in my opinion. Yeah, and just on that, before we go back then to the um, to the letter from uh, the OMB, to just to address what you mentioned mentioned there with regard to race, here's a, an article from The Hill today, just came out a uh, short time ago. Youth tobacco use legislation would have unintended life or death consequences for black tobacco users. This week marks a critical, life-changing moment for the black community, specifically for black tobacco users. The Reversing the Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act is set for a vote this week in the House of Representatives, so I guess this was yesterday. And while this bill seemingly makes a lot of sense in curbing youth tobacco use, there are some glaring, unintended, dire consequences for communities of color with this legislation. Let me first point out here before I continue to read this, and this is going to be a little bit of a kudos on Regwatch's back. About three years ago, we started pushing, going, why isn't this a social justice issue? This needs to be made into a social justice issue. It, you know, disproportionately affects poor people, disproportionately affects black people, um, and so forth. And now we've had like, you know, Helen Redmond from Filter when she was on, you know, fully talking about it. And others have too, but I have to tell you, most of the time, and certainly uh, in the past when we were, we were all taped episodes, the portions about social justice were never really solid enough for me to use them. It just was not something Alex Clark Got, you know, is fully sees it as a social justice issue too as well. So does Julie Wasner from uh, Kassa. But, you know, it just, it's never been the thing that the vaping industry has climbed onto as, as a strong push. Uh, so this is encouraging to see that at least that this is out so strongly. Do you have a thought on that, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have an opinion on it, obviously. And, you know, I believe in justice. I don't know if I necessarily believe in social justice. You know, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge people's differences. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we're all humans. And I think we all deserve to be respected and protected all equally. It doesn't matter where our skin color is, what race we are, where we were born. Um, so that, that's just my outlook on it. Um, well, you know, I'm with you 100% on that, boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but still, though, you know, if you're going to fight their battle, that was my point was that, well, we should be making this a social justice issue, even though I don't believe in social justice. But, you know, that's the hypocrisy. What is. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Brent, I, I agree with you, you know, from a political perspective. Right. Regardless of my own personal opinion, um, you know, if 90 percent of the uh, African-American or black community uses menthol products, um, you know, from my perspective, we should protect the rights of anyone to use these products right but yeah. you know they're obviously being unfairly kind of um you know hit with taking these products off the market if that's what they prefer and you know absolutely we should advocate for them to have the ability to buy the products that they want yeah i mean it's it's finding whatever um you know for the lack of a better term democratic sweet spot or you know victim community that they uh that they prefer if you can somehow get that you know, the impacts of a ban uh, on your side for that, then, you know, you want to try to leverage that. And that's, you know, exactly what this story is, is talking about, considering the fact that 90% of black smokers use menthol products 
Methyl tobacco users would live in fear of new stop and frisk opportunities under this legislation because menthol would now be considered an illegal flavor. A ban that targets menthol products but ignores other premium tobacco products unduly burdens the black community. This asymmetrical ban feels more like a targeted attack than a value-neutral healthcare policy decision. In effect, white adult smokers would see little difference in their lives after this ban, while black smokers could face even more sweeping harassment from law enforcement if the hint of menthol smoke can justify a stop. Now, I mean, I, I mean, I certainly, you, that is disgusting. There is no doubt. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, both sides of it. I, I mean, I fundamentally disagree with the whole premise there, right? But if you really like break this down to a, a nuanced issue, um, and it's absolutely insane, like think about it from this perspective. We have a society that's willing to advocate for a combustible product that kills people based on flavor. And that's, you know, a big part of the reason that there was so much opposition to this bill. But when you look at vapor products that are so much less harmful than that product that we're just that that, that we're comparing it to, there, there's people that will go out on politicians that will stand out on a ledge and fight tooth and nail to preserve that product. But when it comes to our product and flavors that are, you know, arguably a, a, a public health, you know, like a godsend that no, you know, it's crickets. No one's willing to stand up and do the right thing. So if that doesn't prove how politically charged and how politics works, I don't know what else would. Yeah, I do agree. And standing up, we do have a little bit of that from, again, we'll go back to uh, the OMB here and uh, the letter from uh, the president's office. So the administration cannot support H.R. 2339's counterproductive efforts to restrict access to products that may provide a less harmful alternative to millions of adults who smoke combustible cigarettes. Full stop. Mic drop. What do you think? Yeah, uh, that was that literally made my year to see the administration put out wording like that. Um, you know, I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime, to be honest with you. And uh, that's why I'm such a, a, a big supporter of this administration. You know, they they kind of um, it, don't go by the status quo. They, it, it, you know, if there's if, if they put their if they believe in something, they're willing to, to go out on that ledge and double down on it. Um, you know, not only were they standing up for the menthol and combustible tobacco, but they straight out came out and say this is a, a potential harm reduction product. And you, you guys are missing the mark on this in a very, very public way. Um, you know, it, it could be a turning point. And I don't think that this is, you know, by any means like an end game here. To, you know, the administration has saved our industry. We have a long way to go, but at least we have a starting point that we could leverage to move forward with the acknowledgement that these are harm reduction products. Yeah, I mean, the administration is saying they're, they're a less harmful alternative for millions of adults who smoke combustible cigarettes. That, that is astonishing. And the language wasn't totally qualified. It says may provide a less harmful alternative, but but nothing stronger than that. You know, you know, like you no know, queasiness too much. You know, may provide. That's that's good. It may provide. Um, this bill this includes the bill's prohibition of menthol e liquids, which which available evidence indicates are used relatively rarely by youth. It also includes the bill's approach to re remote retail sales. At this time. Problems surrounding such, such, such sales should be addressed through the application of age verification technologies rather than, as this bill would do, prohibiting such sales entirely. 
It's great news, good stand on, on online sales. The administration is also concerned about the constitutionality of a provision in the bill that prohibits certain advertising practices with respect to electronic nicotine delivery system, ENDS products. The bill would prohibit marketing and advertising that, quote, appeals to an individual under 21 years of age, close quote. <laughs> this standard may not satisfy the stringent vagueness test applied to regulations of speech under the Constitution's due process clause. So a couple of things there that I really like is the fact here again, so earlier, you know, you know, safer alternative or less harmful alternative. And then now we have the use of the actual term electronic nicotine delivery system ends products, which by the way, is the exact terminology that the CDC used up until the moment that they, they realized that they could pin people dying on uh, e-cigarettes when it was, you know, THC. So, I mean, an ENDS product is clearly uh, electronic nicotine delivery system and a precise term for it like that would prevent the, uh, the you know, the entire, well, <clears throat> the criminal activity yeah. by the CDC, right? That's why we have names like that. So it was really important to see that from uh, the, the, in this OMB letter. What do you think about that, John? Um, I mean, obviously, I appreciate their stance on both sides of it. You know, I know in our industry, there's this always this constant struggle about online sales and, you know, would it benefit the vape shops or should we should, should they be accessible? But I think the administration hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, I mean, there are people that live in these remote destinations that count on online sales to get these products. And, you know, it, it just also, I think, outlines a much more rational and reasonable approach to regulating anything, right? So instead of going from zero to a hundred because we need to solve the problem, let's implement, you know, rational steps and see how they work. And that's how not only how regulations should work, but that's how science should work too, right? We shouldn't just come to conclusions and say things are bad without having anything to back it up. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I was so happy to see that letter come out, um, regardless of the reason they, uh, they put it out. And, you know, it's also another way for the administration to basically say to the Republican caucus uh, in the in the Republicans in the Senate, like, you know, stand down on this. This is, you know, this is where we stand. Basically, stay in your place. We're not we're not pushing this through. Yeah, that is uh, definitely what does come out of this letter. We're almost done it. The administration is committed to protecting the nation's youth from the harms of tobacco and has already taken several steps to do so. This includes signing legislation to raise the minimum age of sale for tobacco products to 21 in January 2020. Moreover, the administration issued guidance to prioritize enforcement against the unauthorized marketing of certain ENDS products to youth. And the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, is conducting regular surveillance of and, when appropriate, taking enforcement measures against websites, social media, and other publications that advertise regulated tobacco products. And finally, the bill state the bill takes the wrong approach to tobacco regulation. Rather than continuing to focus on the FDA Center for Tobacco Products, Congress should implement President Trump's budget proposal to create a new, more directly accountable agency within the Department of Health and Human Services to focus on tobacco regulation. This new agency would be led by a Senate-confirmed director and would have greater capacity to respond to the growing complexity of tobacco products and respond effectively to tobacco-related public health concerns. If presented to the president in its current form, the president's senior advisors would recommend that he veto the bill. That, very, 
very strong language. And again, I allude back to uh, the the much more rational approach, right? Let's, you know, if there's an issue here, and I think everyone's on the same page, industry included, that, you know, we need to keep these products out of the hands of youth. And, you know, there's no argument there. Um, and then the only question is, how do we address that? And that, to me, is a much more rational and um, regulatory, um, better way to to address these issues rather than just let's just blanket take everyone's rights away for, you know, the sake of the youth and the stupid adults, as Frank Pallone puts it. Right. What what about this uh, proposed new agency? I mean, that's intriguing. Are we talking about, you know, removing uh, the entire, you know, regulation and nicotine out of the FDA's hands? Is that really what's happening here in terms of what, uh, what's being suggested? Yeah, that's what uh, Donald, you know, that's what uh, President Trump is pushing for and the administration's pushing for. They want, you know, obviously FDA has a lot of responsibilities and, um, you know, they uh, a huge part of the upcoming election, one of uh, the administration's goals is to lower drug prices and concentrate on health care. So I think one of the frustrations and, you know, I think it's a justifiable frustration is that you have FDA putting so much time, energy and resources on this, these tobacco issues when they should be concentrating on much more important things. So what, he's, what they're proposing is to take it out of FDA's hands and, you know, have a Center for Tobacco Products still under, you know, the umbrella of Health and Human Services, but its own separate entity that has, uh, you know, a Senate confirmed uh, head or, you know, um, commissioner, let's say, that is um, much more accountable and can probably work much more efficiently to address these rapidly moving problems that, that we face instead of these blanket legislative bans. So as we, you know, kind of caught from the phone call there, the or the conference call, listen in, which was like, Jesus, man, I wish I never got involved in this vaping topic from the president, right? So clearly, clearly he's seen uh, the milieu out there and realized it's a rat's nest uh, with with these regulators. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think it, you know, even... Looking at it from even someone who has very little knowledge of our industry, if you take a look at this regulatory framework that they're trying to to put our products through, it doesn't take a genius to figure out like it's just not, you know, it's this isn't meant for this. Like uh, this is not an efficient or a practical way to allow a new technology that could potentially save you know millions or even billions of lives over time. Uh, to come to market. So, you know, I mean, I support any effort that allows these products to be more readily available to adult users who want to transition from combustible cigarettes, or me personally, any adult user that wants to enjoy them. You know, as an adult, I think they should have the choice to want to use any product they see fit and make that choice for themselves. Yeah, I agree that uh, choice is critical. And I mean, it's so lack. <laughs> This concept, this concept that everybody needs protecting from themselves, is is very is very concerning. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of I would say it's anti-American in a way. Um, and one of the other things I loved about the letter was the fact that they, you know, talked about the constitutionality of what was being proposed, like this vague regulatory or vague legislative language about if it appeals to people under the age of twenty-one. 
Um, you know, I mean, that's literally a blanket statement that gives them authority to act in any way that they see fit. It's, it's, very, it's very akin to uh, appropriate for the protection of the public health, right? There is no standard there. It's basically, a, you know, we make any decision we want for whatever reason we want, and we'll let you know what that decision is when we come to it. Right. So, hey, John, I was just checking uh, on our Facebook feed here, and for some reason, Facebook uh, just totally punked out on us today. So it, it, it stopped the uh, stream around 26 minutes in. So it says that the live video has ended. Um, so hopefully people will uh, get this on YouTube. I will re-upload this uh, once it's all done and cleaned up from the YouTube feed, and then I'll get it up onto uh, Facebook in its entirety. So for those of you who, uh, for those of you who are not listening right now on Facebook, you will be seeing this shortly. Um, all right, so John, um, being mindful of our time here, I wanted to ask you about uh, the PMTA process because that's looming in May. Sure. Yeah, that's you know coming right up. And I've not heard anything yet, anything that sounds hopeful. Mostly I've heard not a lot because nobody's talking. Yeah, you know, it's a very complicated issue. Um, there, there's some, you know, obviously there in, in passing the Tobacco Control Act, there's certain legal uh, constraints that everyone has to operate in, including FDA, including the administration, uh, that would take an act of Congress to change. And then there's this whole political kind of uh, dynamic to it, um, where, you know, the, there is a little bit of leeway, but it's, uh, it, it's very complicated. It's not an easy question to answer. You know, obviously, um, I'm for allowing more people to participate in this industry through the regulatory process that, that that's where i stand and that's what um everyone's advocating for um but given kind of the uh, nuance and the dynamic of the legality and the complexity of the regulatory framework that we're we're looking at it's it's not something that is um very easy to communicate or message on yeah i mean can you share a little bit about what vta is doing to help you know push that along Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have regular, you know, we've been regularly meeting with uh, representatives and senators. Um, you know, Ron Johnson has been especially helpful. He's, uh, you know, advocating on behalf of the small businesses, um, you know, essentially under the assumption that this is not a fair process for small businesses specifically and something needs to be done. Um, the question is, you know, what can be done given that uh, legal framework that we're talking about? Um, and I think the administration specifically, and, you know, we obviously are um, feeding information and making sure that the small business voice is heard in the administration, um, I think has taken some very strong language, even in that letter, for example, uh, taking CTP out of uh, FDA, you know, uh, VTA doesn't have a stance on whether they're pro or against that, because there's a lot of unintended consequences that could potentially happen from that. But I think that, you know, that's indicative of the effort that we've been putting forth to try to accommodate some of these, um, you know, the small business aspect or even the industry aspect of this regulatory process. You know, that, you know, it's obvious that there's a problem here that needs to be addressed. The only question is, how do we address it effectively and legally? So how big of a, an election issue? Do you think vapors could make this uh, coming up here in 2020? 
Um, I personally think, and I know people disagree with me, but I think this is a huge election issue. I mean, if if nothing else, you know, today should show the public and Vapors in general kind of how important this election is for us, right? Um, any candidate on the left right now, uh, for the most part, I don't think is, you know, whether they're for a all-out vapor ban or, you know, the, the PMTA process, or I, I don't care where they stand, they're definitely not going to come out and advocate for these types of products where, you know, this administration, I think, has proven that they're at least willing to budge on it, that they, they acknowledge that, you know, we, we do have a harm reduction technology here and that, you know, it needs to be treated as such. So, you know, I think that the administration knows that the vapor vote and vapors in general are very important to, to his campaign and they're a big part of his base. I think that, and I think that's very true. So I think, you know, vapors can make this a huge election um, issue. Well, and I guess that's the thing now, how do you, how do you do it? But, you know, it's pretty helpful when the president has the OMB issuing letters like they did yesterday. Uh, that's helpful because it, it does, you know, put it squarely down here as an election issue. Yeah, and you know, I think that, that even, the way that this whole situation played out on this um, congressional bill, for example, when you have the Speaker of the House coming down to swing votes because they're worried about whether or not they're going to have enough votes in their own party to pass this through, you know, the, the democratically controlled House, um, that's a very political move. Um, and I think that, you know, the ground, the, the, the arena is kind of set that this is going to turn into a war of some sort, right? You have one side that's doubling down on, we need to address this, we need to save the kids, we need to ban all the flavors. And even within that own party, there's a little bit of uh, you know, indecision there. Um, in my opinion, more so because of the menthol uh, combustible tobacco part, but even so, let's take a win where we can get it. And on the other side, you have someone who's clearly willing to come out and you know, openly say that you know, these products Perhaps we need to rethink how we're looking at this. You know, to what extent? No one has that answer yet, but we need, like, that's our responsibility as an industry to make sure we push it to that level. Well, anytime you can get at a national level uh, in Washington, just even the potential where somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm for a flavor ban for vaping products, and you can get more than one other politician to point out, you go, you racist. You're a racist <laughs> for wanting a flavor ban. Racist. Right. So, you know, I mean, maybe they didn't actually say that, but that's what is implied by the. Well, in all this. fairness, Brandon, that, that used to be a lot more difficult. Now it seems like that you're a racist comes out no matter what situation you're in. Oh, yeah. Don't make me play my race card. Um, so, OK, John. So, look, let's uh, mindful of time here on a Friday. So I want to do a couple of, you know, fast things here. What did you think of the glance retraction? Oh, my God. I mean, that was probably the second most happiest I've been because, you know, I personally cannot stand not only his research, but the, the way that he just smugly kind of uh, goes about doing these despicable things with no one paying attention to it, no one noticing it. So just the fact that standing glance was put into like a media cycle and in a negative light, justifiably so, just made my week, to be honest. Yeah, kind of, a, kind of a good last seven, 10 days here that we've had. Um, we had Dr. Brad Rodu on, 
um, earlier this week. And of course, he led the entire questioning of, and he's been doing it for years, of Professor Glass's work that led to uh, the American, the Journal of the American Heart Association to retract the, uh, to retract the paper. And so when he was on, we talked uh, uh, about a bunch of things, two issues that, that I wanted to quickly throw at you. One is that I've been asking, you know, why is it that these public health officials who seem for years, decades, to be so concerned about the health of smokers, see, be so tuned out with regard to the fact that vaping saves lives? So the industry and vapers say and advocates say vaping saves lives and public health turns back and says, who cares? Well, why, yeah. is, why is that? Like, why is that? That and when the vaping-related lung illness hit in August of 2019 and the CDC came out with that title, it immediately sounded like smoking-related diseases, uh, deaths, you know, smoking-related deaths. I go, Jesus, if, they, if they're lying about vaping-related uh, lung illness, vaping-related deaths, right? Well, then why aren't they lying about smoking-related deaths? And then that started us going down the rabbit hole. Then, of course, Dr. Rodu has been writing about this for years and others, too, as well. And it seems that these numbers that the CDC has been using and the rest of public health that have been saying, you know, forecasting the numbers of people that are going to die each year as a regard to smoking, they pretty much stayed the same and static for 20, 30 years. So as smoking goes down, the, the, the forecast stays up and yeah, sure, you know, more population, this and that, but that's not it. The fact is, is that they've been lying about these numbers forever. Now, what Dr. Rodu said, and I didn't have time to put the clip together, I'll try to do that for next episode. Dr. Rodu surprisingly said that the CDC, those are not the CDC's numbers, it's the American Regardless Cancer Society's numbers. What do you think of that? Yeah, and, I mean, these NGOs are a huge issue in American not healthcare and public health all across the board. Um, you know, they... They have a vested interest in making sure that they have something to fight against. And, you know, uh, Dr. Rodu, I love Dr. Rodu. He's one of the most honest people I've ever talked to in my life. And because of his position, he can't, you know, kind of say these things. And I don't even know if that's his opinion per se, but, you know, I, I can say these things. And, you know, the at the end of the day, um, these NGOs, they, they need a reason to exist. They need someone to fight against. That's how they, they, they bring in their money, right? And when you could go out and make up numbers and put a ton of money from that, that comes either from billionaires or from all across the United States into uh, funding all these studies that are being done on the exact topic that you're fighting against, it's very easy to control that narrative. Um, but back to your original question, I think that there there's two issues with um, kind of the anti-tobacco movement. I do think that there are legitimate scientists out there, uh, or researchers, I should say, that truly do care about public health. I think that, you know, um, as is natural, when you're you're fighting something for so long that you kind of get stuck in the idea of, you know, everything that, you know, you, you come you come to this like conclusion that it has to be bad because breathing fresh air is good. Like, I don't think there, I think a lot of them are not intentionally kind of getting to these end results that aren't equitable or scientifically, I guess, verifiable. But then you have like your standing glances and like the small group of people that, you know, have made quite a bit of money from these uh, like NIH grants, for example, and um, from these initiatives that are, are clearly uh, where you have an end result and give me the science to get me to the end result. 
And to me, that's the most despicable thing because that, that's worse than even uh, tobacco companies, in my opinion, because what I think what I think someone like Stan and Glantz is doing is they're basically taking money to come to conclusions that kill people while they think you're helping them. And I could honestly say no one in the vapor industry does that. And that is, you know, the most despicable thing I think anyone could do, period. That is definitely strong words. I think we're going to leave it at despicable, John. Do you, uh, do you have any more anything to add uh, outside of that? No, and I mean, I think it, it's a, a problem that needs to be fixed. I think we need to take a look at how how our um, public health institutions a get funded, where the money comes from, and at, you know, I think that science is important, and I think that fair science is is the most important thing. And the, the irony in this whole situation is uh, researchers like Dr. Rodu, who are always accused of being, you know, funded by tobacco and, you know, they, they're not reliable. You can't trust what they say. I really, at the end of the day, the most honest, trustworthy people they, like they have integrity and they, they come to the conclusions, good or bad, and they publish them, you know, and then the people that we're supposed to trust. And like I said, I don't want to put a blanket term out there because I think there's some very very honorable researchers who are just kind of, you know, in this mentality of these types of products must be bad, right? It's just more of an ideology than anything intentional. But when you get to the level of your standing glances, you know, you're at despicable level, like I said, it's, it's just, it's, it's terrible. And it's a, that, that in itself is a public health travesty. I do agree. And I mean, there's no separation from, from government influence, uh, you know, on, on research when all the millions of dollars, it, it starts from the, from the premise that um, we're going to have a smoke-free future in a certain number of years or decades. And so if that, that's the government strategy coming out of FDA and CDC, so if that's the strategy, all the research is, is going to be spent on moving that forward. Not, you know, and if the problem is, of course, is that um, vaping products are immediately just called tobacco. And then and because of that definition, uh, then allows then, you know, for the rest of the stuff to roll with it, right? So you can just treat it as tobacco, you can research it as tobacco, you can defame it as tobacco. You can do all this the same stuff when it's not actually tobacco, right? So, but <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, and just to, just to put this into perspective, you have a, a researcher like Dr. Farsalinos who has done amazing, amazing work, unbiased, great science. And um, no one knows who this guy is. He's not getting millions of dollars in grants to, to keep conducting uh, this, you know, He's got a great track record of beautifully published studies that he's been putting out for years on vaping. I, you know, he leads, literally leads the field of research scientists when it comes to this vaping topic. And no one could say that he doesn't have integrity and his science isn't good. Uh, and then you have someone like Standing Glantz who, you know, gets money just like that. And, you know, that alone should tell you that there's a problem. I do agree. And well, now we're talking about money and funding, and you're right, you know, Dr. Rodu gets uh, uh, smacked all the time for the fact that there uh, is likely some industry money around in the university, of course, you know, he's in Kentucky, so that makes some sense. But on that note, of course, of course is that RegWatch is uh, supported by industry and vapors and viewers and so forth. And so please, if you get a chance, go to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And, uh, you know, maybe dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. You'll be in very good company. And we do need the help. We haven't really been pushing 
uh, this year. Of course, I've not been uh, in the best of actual physical shape. Some of you might know had some ergonomic issues and that kind of stuff, but I'm on the mend now, which is fine in the last couple of weeks, well, last week really. And, um, and then of course we bought like 25 grand in new gear here. That's to try to make uh, the show better, which is obviously what we're trying to do all the time. And of course, um, you will be in great company and our anchor supporter at our US coverage is Demand Vape. And without John Glaser and the people at Demand and Juno, we would not be here. And it's the same in Canada. It's Stealth, Divine and Flavor Art and Flavor Crafters. Gosh, my original juice. Thank you, John Marshall, Stinky Canucks, and the rest of you guys. Please do, if you get a chance, go to sport.regulatorwatch.com and take a look around and see if you can give us a hand. One-time donation or monthly would be appreciated. John. I'm going to toss the last bit to you. What is your hope for the next eight months? My hope is that every single vapor that uses these products to, to better their lives and stay away from cigarettes or just enjoys them uh, becomes active and, um, you know, calls their, their representatives at the state level and the federal level. Uh, we got a long, long fight on our hands. And I think we, you know, given what we've been up against, I think that we've been very, very successful. But I don't want anyone to think that this is anywhere near over. Um, so that, that that truly really is my hope because I believe in these products. And I think that um, we need to fundamentally change how our policymakers and our regulators look at these products. And I think the only way that's going to happen is through public pressure. And it, it, it's... I can't overstate how fundamentally important that really is. You know, John, that's a, a great way to end the show. But actually, I realized I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the coronavirus and its impact on <laughs> hardware uh, and so forth in China. What do we know about that? That's a whole other ballgame. Oh, man. So, you know, it's obviously having a huge impact, um, you know, on on us as a distributor, on the Chinese manufacturers, on how they do business. Um, the supply chain is just, you know, I don't want to say devastated because every company is in a different situation in China. But, you know, the the issue is that, you know, even though they're back to work, you still need raw materials and supplies to put products together. And there's not just a shortage of materials and supplies, but you know, they can only get materials and supplies for certain products. So it's not like they could just start manufacturing whatever they want. So I highly recommend that, um, you know, we have to be patient. We have to, um, you know, this, this is my best recommendation to vape shops and people that, that have a business in this arena right now, uh, because who knows what's going to happen in the United States as well. And I, you know, my opinion is coronavirus is what it is, right? I don't think anyone should panic. It's, it's not going to, you know, kill millions of people or you know it, it's not it's not that big of a deal but there's going to be an effect i think in the united states as well but you know there it, it could be a, a little while until people could just get what they want so at the vape shop level um i think it's it's super important to communicate to your customers that you know if you rely on vaping to stay off cigarettes or you you rely on these products um, we will have stock. It might not be exactly what you want, but we want to work with you to make sure that not only do you have a satisfying experience, but if you need to substitute one thing for the other, uh, <clears throat> we're here to educate you on what to go to, uh, what we recommend. And, um, you know, as far as time frame goes, um, anyone's guess is best.
you know, there's too many variables to kind of compute and give give people an exact time frame. It could be anywhere from, you know, the next week to 10 days to could be six weeks. We no, no one knows right now. So there I don't know. Has there been yet shortages of coils and tanks and so forth? So, you know, we obviously don't own any retail stores. So I don't, at the retail level, I mean, I've, you know, anecdotally heard that, yeah, people are having trouble finding what they need. I can tell you that as a distributor, um, we definitely cannot fill the demand of what people are asking for in, you know, coil areas, uh, certain products. So, yeah, there's definitely issues in the supply chain. How far it's kind of gone down to the retail level, I, I don't know 100%, you know, at a national level right now. But the effect is there, certainly, uh, from COVID-19. And, you know, just thank God the CDC is spending its time on this issue as opposed to the epidemic of teen vaping. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, it's crazy when you think about it that this even came to a vote in the House with uh, a potential pandemic going around. Um, you know, just put that into perspective. Uh, this is what they're concentrating on right now um, for political reasons instead of, you know, this potential uh, disease that could spread across the United States. I mean, that that that's, or even to my opinion, more important things like making sure that everyone's life in, a, in the United States could be better uh, by the work that our, our policymakers do, um, you know, not by restricting their choice, but by making sure we have good laws and working on, you know, essentially what we put them in office to accomplish. Well, that's all we can hope for. John, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Just hang tight right there, and I'll just do a close. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go on, go on over to support.regulatorwatch.com, support.regulatorwatch.com, and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and then toss them our way. You'll be happy you did it, and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook, and please follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.